So the word of the Lord uh, through Moses, found in the Pentateuch, would be the standard by which all further prophecy would be compared. And you see that um, in, in, in the prophets. Uh, in order for them to judge the nation on their disobedience, what is required? What do they have to hearken back to? And it's the original giving of the law taught in Moses. Uh, anytime the prophets um, refer back to the Pentateuch, they are by necessity confirming the foundational necessity of the revelation given through Moses. The bulk of subsequent prophetic literature essentially expands on what Moses already had declared in God's people, as well as Obama Robertson uh, affirms. Moving on to point two, not only do we see that Moses holds priority in biblical prophecy, but we also see only God's initiative brings forth a prophetic word. So the tribe of Levi, they had the priests. The tribe of Judah, they had the kings. But what about the prophets? You know, what tribe, uh, what tribe did the prophets come through? And the answer to that question is, well, there wasn't a tribe, right? It, it, that's not how it worked. It, it, the line of the prophets is maintained by divine appointment rather than uh, genealogical hierarchy. It's not like uh, you go to a tribe and say, the prophet has to come from this tribe. No. You had that with the priests, you had that with the kings. But the prophets, well, it's whoever God saw fit to raise up, regardless of tribe. Thus, it is God's prerogative to determine when his people need further revelation in addition to that which was handed down through Moses. So God being the divine, all-knowing God, determined when and where and how his people needed revelation. And so the implication is, if no further revelation came, um, there was sufficiency with that which they had. We see, uh, we see this truth also play out in Numbers 11. Uh, Paul Robertson goes through a lengthy case study, and I, I abbreviated it uh, for all of our well-beings. Um, Really starting in verses 11 and 12, and he skips down to 25 through 29. Verse 11 through 12 of Numbers 11, see, Moses, he's, he's frustrated. He, he feels his, his humanity, his, his uh, inability to reach the vast nation. At this time, the nation of Israel had multiplied exponentially, and he was but one man. Um, so he felt his insufficiency in being able to uh, act as a prophetic. Uh, mediator between God and the people. So he, he comes to the Lord and petitions, and in verse 25, the Lord places his spirit, the same spirit that was on Moses, on 70 other men, and then they prophesy. Verse 26, you see, while Moses and the 70 men were assembled at the tent of meeting, two additional men, so this is an excess of those original 70, began prophesying in the camp. Next, uh, two verses later, Joshua urges Moses to restrain the prophecy, arguing that no prophetic activity should occur outside of the direct supervision of Moses. And here, what does Moses do in verse 29? He rebukes Joshua, revealing that the uh, desire of God for all his people uh, is to prophesy by the working of the Spirit. And so here we see that Moses was in control of, of, of prophecy, Joshua was in control of prophecy, but rather, prophecy here in Israel came as the Lord saw fit. So, is this proof, is this a proof text for the prophetic office? So, specifically verse 29, where, where Moses reveals that it's the Lord's will and it's his desire that all his people will prophesy. Is this a proof text for the prophetic office of all New Testament believers? I think, I think the answer 
etc. It's not coming up with new prophecies. Yeah. I don't want to say no. This was to legitimize the uh, office that these men just did. Okay. Forever stay in my mind, and I, I always come back to this. 
So uh, English nonconformist Richard Baxter, or Baxter, don't read him on uh, too much. Uh, but here, I think I think he's I think he's right on. Uh, he actually uh, draws a connection to the contents of our dreams and the contents of our hearts and our minds. He says the cure of a worldly mind is the best way to cure worldly covetous dreams. The cure of a lustful heart is the best way to cure lustful dreams. And so the rest. Cleanse the fountain, and the waters will be sweeter day and night. So what he's saying is there's a correlation with what we feed our flesh, with what we feed our heart, with what we feed our minds, and what, what we dream about. And so I'm, I'm, always, I'm always reflecting on the contents of my dreams, and I use that as a litmus test. If I'm having, not that the dreams themselves are sinful, but the contents of my dreams are sinful, I evaluate, is, is there sin in my heart that I'm not confessing? Is there, is there sin in my mind that I'm not confessing? And so I think it's, it's, it's worthwhile knowing that, you know, not to completely write off dreams. Yes, dreams are no longer a, a way in which God reveals, um, but they, are, they do have benefit for, for the believer. So we have the mode of reception, dreams, visions, and we have the mode of delivery, the way in which the prophet delivers it to the people. So here we have an analogous example of, of Moses and Aaron from, from Exodus 4. I'll read this for you. It's uh, verses 15 through 16. You shall speak to him <clears throat> and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth. <clears throat> and I will be with your mouth and his mouth, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. So we have this analogous, uh, uh, I guess, um, example uh, of Moses and Aaron where where Aaron spoke the words of Moses to Pharaoh. And Moses, in that, in that way, acted as God. Not that he was a God, but he acted in the role of God. In the same way, God speaks to his, his prophet, and the prophets speak the word to the people. Now, Pharaoh could have rejected Aaron uh, as a mere man, as a, a simpleton. Um, but he could not reject the authority of the words by which he carried, because ultimately they were the words of God. I myself will be with your mouth. And that really is the, delivery, the mode of delivery of prophecy. All right, so this really comes with some consequences when you're looking at Revelation um, and the, the character of the prophetic word. So because their words came as verbatim revelations from the Lord, the message of the prophets intrinsically possesses both authority and unity. So look at those two briefly. Authority, um, mediated revelation does not lose authority due to the mediation. The fact that it's the words of God flowing through the prophet, the fact that a prophet is, is, is utilized does not negate, it does not degrade um, the message from the that he carries because he is derivative from the Lord. Though Pharaoh may downplay the petitions of the man Aaron, the message is the Lord's. The word of the prophet is retreated as though, not at though, as though it is coming from the very mouth of God. So, discussion question Are Jesus's, Jeremiah's, or James's words more important? They're all equal. So I was lied to when they, they told me the words 
or what's important. <laughs> so yeah, it's silly, but like that's a real thing in our culture. That's why I put this discussion question in there, isn't it? How many of you know someone that, that emphasizes the words of Jesus or scriptures of the Old Testament? Even the scriptures on from the New Testament. I, I often find people trying to pit Jesus against Paul. And that's that's just nonsense. It's, it's a complete misunderstanding of, of the revelation of God. Good. Unity 
So going back to the 70 elders, where, where did you come back to these stories uh, with Homer? He, he really builds something off of Moses as, as he establishes what one can be without him. So this other chapter is heavily connected to Moses. So the spirit which uh, the 70 elders received in Numbers 11 was the same spirit that resided on Moses. So it's, it's not a, a different spirit. It's not as though Moses lost some amount of the spirit when, when it was poured on the 70. In, in, in essence and substance, it is the same spirit that was on Moses. One God, one spirit, one message. And if you know me, I have I have some different traditions than, than many in America, specifically uh, residing around uh, the month of December. And I'm not going to go into it because this, this is not the time or place. But I, I, I came back to this practice of, of lighting the Advent candles. Um, and, and this is kind of the same, the same picture. Uh, usually an Advent candle, you start with one, and then you light subsequent candles off of that one. When you do that, the first, the initial candle doesn't lose anything, but rather the sequential candles gain, uh, gain light, they gain flame, they gain heat. Um, and, and in a similar way, uh, that's what happened here in the camp with the 70 elders. Moses lost nothing, the 70 men gained something. And it was the same thing, just as that, that second candle that I saw the first, he's getting the same exact thing that the first candle has. So that was a pretty good illustration. All right, going on to, to point four. All other ways of determining the Lord's will must be repudiated. Very strong language. <clears throat> he continues that strong language. The Canaanites had upwards of uh, nine different methods of determining uh, to determine the will of God, uh, including child sacrifice. All of these practices are explicitly forbidden within uh, the law of Moses. So what are the ways that people seek to discern the will of God today, because it happens all the time. Sure, you could have Jesus calling, sure, yeah, absolutely. What else? Astrology, okay, the list goes. I'm a Pisces. Fortune cookies? Um, possibly, I mean, you could. Yeah, I, I, I eat them because, like I say, I, they don't really taste good, I guess that's a copy. I eat them because they come with yeah. my meal, but... But they're true. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't it? What are other, what other ways? I think we phone, sometimes we phone a friend that we know is going to tell us what we want to hear. Okay. I think that happens a lot more than we think. Well, whatever we're doing when the uh, Red Cardinal shows up, because that's when the sun are returning from heaven, that they love to... That's a new one. Yeah, I'm not from around here, so it's a southern thing. What are other ways in which think of it? Maybe maybe it's just me because I sit awkwardly between. I was talking to Shia, I think it was like two years ago, and I was I saw the foreseeable nature of next year and it being my 30th birthday, and I feel like 30 to 35 is a really awkward time. You're too old for the young people, but you're still a little bit too young for the old people. No. And I guess I'm having such a, a little bit of a, a crisis uh, of identity. Like, where do I fit in here? Wow. One thing you tell I'll be careful with being called. That's that's, that's <laughs> 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 
So I use my parents as a reference point. But uh, what I'm saying is, I, I can see differences between those who are older and those who are younger than me, and how they they seek to uh, discern the will of God. Like, I, I I I wrote some connections. I, I wrote connections with what happened in the Old Testament, what the Canaanites practiced, and some of the things we see today. And I, I guess I'll come back to this question and see if you guys have anything else, because uh, there's definitely other things that apply. Um, here are some of the practices of the Canaanites and some some current practices we have today. So uh, child sacrifice, uh, oftentimes mothers would, would, would sacrifice their children um, and show no remorse, seeking to discern the will of God, seeking to um, um, gain the, the pleasure, uh, the affirmation of their gods. And uh, it's not a one-to-one, a, a -one, but there's a ton of application to discerning abortions. Abortions done out of certain, certain desires, right? Um, some many people uh, have this, uh, abortions just out of uh, desire uh, for ease, right? Desire for career, desire to not change their uh, trajectory of life, um, and it's, it's the same. Just the problem is their God is their, themselves, right? Travis, in the same way, uh, if you ever praise God, it doesn't work anymore. But I think the dumpings, I don't know if they're going to Noah says to most of the women, at least in Savannah, are having abortions because they don't have money, and the government has told them that this is a free way to, you know, to keep your life going. And I know that's a hard pill for us to swallow as Christians, but that's the truth. The truth is, many women know exactly what they're doing. They hate that they have to do it, but they don't feel they have any other choice. So um, there are a group of people probably that don't care about, you know, that have career. They're lawyers or whatever. But there's, I would say the majority, not the majority, many don't do it because they have a career. They have it because they're already impoverished in the first place. So the church has to, uh, and it's just as simple, I'm not giving them excuses, but we as the church, I think, sometimes have to support, like, what we're doing, Michelle Duffy, what she's doing, because she's doing the Lord's work uh, trying to help these ladies understand they can survive yep. in survival mode, even with the baby. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree that it's low luggish. Yeah. But at the same time, I think we had a little more compassion often as some of these women. Because if you ever work with them, it really will change your, your view. Thank you for that pastoral application, Travis. But that's really why like, I, I, try, I try to specify, like, the women who would do it for, for self-advancement. That's really where the most clear uh, parallel to Molech is. Well, and I think, I think too, to Travis's point, like, a lot of these women back in the Old Testament had no rights. Yeah. And so, like, to Travis's point, it's like, they were doing this because the men in their lives were telling them, this is what we have to do to keep the gods happy with us. So, it's like, to both of your points, it's the same. It's the same in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like, this is what has to so that the gods will punish us so that our lives won't be worse. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So we have child sacrifice. We also have studying the clouds and stars. And I, I, I think a correlation with uh, horoscopes. Um, reading of verse, fortune telling, not so, not so popular today. It's kind of died down, thankfully. Um, casting of spells, mainly 
find in third world countries with which doctors are not set up day to day in third world countries? Consulting the dead. Okay, this one, this one I have a fascination with. So, uh, yes, these are my words now, Homer Robertson's. Pithis Tom Ford. What I mean by that is uh, in, in Roman Catholic theology, there is a huge emphasis on praying to, venerating, seeking intercession from uh, glorified saints um, that can avoid. And that's very much, that's very close to what the King Knights were doing. Uh, and then also a mediums. Okay. Anyone here watch Long Island Medium at any and I'll move on. But there's a fascination within our culture with mediums as well. Yes, Josh? Uh, before you move on, I yep. wanted to mention, there does seem to be uh, some resurgence of a lot of occult uh, mm-hmm. in our culture, particularly among the, uh, the youths as, as we were growing up. Uh, yes. younger, college age, uh, high schoolers, there, there seems to be a growing fascination with occult Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name 
will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. So, harking back to Numbers 11 and the gift of prophecy, uh, spiritual gifting there was due to Moses' insufficiency, his inability to fill that role for, for the, the vast uh, nation of Israel. But in Mark 9, the gifting to that man was due to Christ's supremacy. So Moses' insufficiency, we got Christ's supremacy. There was so much power that all, all that man had to do is, is speak in the name of Christ, truly in the name of Christ, and that he was part of So radically different. Jesus as creator is Lord over the prophetic word. Jesus is superior to Moses by nature. Moses was a prophet in the house of God. Jesus built the house. Moses spoke the word of the Lord. Jesus is the word. So you see, by nature, by who Jesus is as the eternal Son of God, He is the ultimate prophet. Jesus, the consummative prophet, like Moses. Um, so David brought up the question last week, is it a prophet like Moses, or is it prophets like Moses? And at first I was like, well, why can't it be both, right? I always, everyone always wants to say, well, why can't it be both? Uh, yes and no, let me have you. Well, old Paul Robinson seems to allude that there's one right answer, and it's a prophet. Is it speaking specifically of the coming of Jesus? But not only that, the New Testament seems to affirm this. Um, this was the interpretation by the Jews of that time. In John 1.21, Speaking of uh, John the Baptist, are you the prophet? This is a, a leading back to that promise. He responds to this. I am neither Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet. John 6, 14. I, I believe this is after Christ feeds um, uh, his miracle with, with bread and fish. They say to him, surely this is the prophet. And then John said, and let me John said, it's one of those series. Surely this man is the prophet. So the Jews of this time seem to understand what this meant pretty well. Um, and and, and they, were, they were looking for a prophet that was like Moses. So here you can see comparisons for between Moses and Christ. Moses provided bread in the desert. Christ provided bread in the wilderness. Moses... Uh, served as a magistrate, a ruler over the people. Jesus serves as king. Yes, he does. Moses provided water in the wilderness. Christ offers life-giving water. Moses suffered on behalf of the people. Christ died on behalf of his people. So you see a parallelism, and actually you see Christ uh, better performing the acts that Moses performed. Then you have Peter's confession in Acts 3, which also affirms this. Acts 3, specifically 22 down to 26, Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me. So Peter quotes Deuteronomy here. He's quoting that promise. And then in verse 24, right, he says, All the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. These days is referring to, in the context of that sermon of that he's giving, he's referring to Christ's life, death, uh, and resurrection. And then he, he brings it back. The Lord will raise 
of a prophet. So, so sorry. The Lord will raise a prophet is what we saw in verse 22. 26, he, he brings it back by saying, God having raised up his servant. So in 22, he quotes Moses saying, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me. And then he, he argues for the, uh, the fulfillment of that in verse 26 by saying, God having raised up his servant. So Peter argues here in Acts 3 that Jesus is the prophet. So in conclusion, does Jesus as a consummated prophet bring greater blessing or greater judgment? Hey! I know. I said I don't like that, but I, I got you with this one. Alright, how so? How so, Josh? Uh, well, similar to baptism being both a, a blessing if we uh, essentially make good on that and persevere. Yeah, the Spirit uh, makes good. Mm-hmm. Right, the Spirit makes good on the promise or uh, judgment.
May your spirit sanctify us in these areas, in all the areas of application you mentioned today. May you be glorified in our lives.